This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be here with you today. Coming up later in this episode, we are going to be speaking with Kirsten Quimby, founder and uh, proprietress, I suppose you could say, of Kirsten Cares for Cats in Panama. And this is actually an, an interview that I'm really excited to bring to all of you because I feel like two of the, the things that I most frequently hear friends and particularly friends in, in rescue or who care about cats or, or who are cat enthusiasts say, uh, the, the first is if, if I won the lottery or I suddenly inherited a bajillion dollars from some crazy mysterious relative, I would chuck everything, leave the country, and go live on a tropical beach somewhere, which uh, to to this girl who grew up on a not quite as tropical beach in Miami always sounds like a lovely daydream. And the other is if I won a bajillion dollars, if I won the lottery or inherited a bajillion dollars from some crazy mysterious relative, I would fill my house with cats. I would open a sanctuary for cats. I would start a cat rescue. And what I love about Kirsten and her story is that she has actually done both of these things without winning the lottery or inheriting a bajillion dollars from some crazy, mysterious relative. So we are going to be speaking with her a little bit later on in today's episode. And of course, this episode is going to be our final episode of 2021. Uh, we will be taking a hiatus, a brief hiatus, uh, the week after Christmas. So so this is uh, my opportunity, I guess, to wish everybody a Merry Christmas to those of you who celebrate Christmas and a Happy New Year to everyone. And to thank you all for listening to this podcast, which, of course, I, I started this year you know, it's 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 been a difficult couple of years for everybody, obviously. And I, I think particularly the, the last couple of years have been very isolating in a lot of ways. Obviously, we've not been able to see as much of friends or of loved ones. Many of us have lost people. Many of us have lost our health. I, I definitely spent a big chunk of 2020 wrestling with long COVID. I hear from some of you who are struggling with it now and and have different symptoms. And it can be really debil- debilitating. I'm so grateful every day that that I did seem to move on from it late in 2020. And I've actually made physical fitness a, a real priority in 2021. And we've talked about that a little bit. But I do want to thank you all for for listening and for being here for me. It has definitely in, you know, we, there was a, a, I guess, a brief respite from all of this this past summer with vaccinations and Lawrence and I were out. We saw friends. We we traveled locally a little bit. We spent a lot of time at the beach. Uh, again, these are all things that I've discussed on the podcast. 
But those were bright spots in in what has otherwise been a, a difficult couple of years. And I this podcast and and talking to all of you and hearing back from so many of you has really kept me sane. I I don't look at the numbers for the podcast. So I, I never know exactly how many people are listening. And I do that because if the numbers are low, it's it's just going to be very discouraging and, and might lead me to quit doing it. And if the numbers are high, I think I might get cocky or lazy uh, or, or, or rest on my laurels. And I don't want either of those things to happen. So, so I, I'm just here talking and I could be talking to 20 people or 20,000 people. I suspect it's uh, probably, you know, somewhere more in the four figure than five figure range. But it, it's it's just wonderful to to be able to do this and to hear back from so many of you. Uh, you know, over the years, there there's definitely a, a core group of readers who I've sort of gotten to know, people who reach out to me frequently, who have reached out to me frequently since Homer's Honesty was first published. And so I know their names and, and I've come to know a little bit about them. Uh, but what I really found with the podcast is it, that there are new new readers who I am getting in touch with or, or, or making contact with through the podcast uh, that I otherwise would not have known about. And so, yeah, just uh, thank you. And and if you're somebody who listens and, and does not email me or leave comments on the website or support me on Patreon, you are just as loved and just as appreciated as the people I do hear from. And and thank you for being such an amazing community and for loving cats as much as you do. And, you know, it's very upsetting because Clayton is hanging out with me right now. And Clayton, Clayton, what are you doing, little man? Clayton. So now he's just looking at me two seconds before he hit the record button. He was hopping around me and and squeaking at me. He has this very squeaky meow. And he was very upset because I was paying more attention to my recording equipment than I was to him. And this is always something that offends Clayton. But once I started talking, he went to lie on a rug close by me and is now drifting off into sleep. And I, while I do appreciate that he finds the sound of my voice to be soothing, I was really hoping to uh to get to get Clayton complaining to me. Clayton? All right, well now I just sound like an idiot, but I, I was hoping to record Clayton for the podcast, arguing with me as he so frequently does, at least one time before the end of the year. But I make you this promise. My New Year's resolution for 2022 is that I am going to get Clayton on the podcast. I'm going to bring you the sound. Fanny is a little bit more difficult. Fanny is not as verbal as Clayton. Um, although Fanny, the other morning, you know, I get up early every morning to work out. I, I discussed this and I move Lawrence into the guest bedroom, which I know sounds terrible and really obnoxious. And the only thing I, I can assure you of is that my husband can fall asleep at the drop of a hat. He, he can essentially fall asleep on command. So he gets up, he stumbles a few feet into the guest bedroom, gets in a bed, and he is instantly back asleep. And it is no skin off his apple. If, if it were, I would, of course, make different decisions. But anyway, so Lawrence goes in there and, and Fanny likes to have her morning cuddle time with Lawrence. 
And she'll usually go in and, and wake him up a little bit a few times over the course of the morning between when I get up and when Lawrence finally gets up for the day and, and force him to give her these really intense rubdowns. She climbs onto his belly and, and puts her, you know, sprawls out, puts her tushy in his face and, and just insists that he scratch her back really intensely. And the other morning, I, I happened to walk briefly into the guest bedroom to get something out of the closet in that room. And Fanny was was on Lawrence's stomach with her tushy kind of, you know, with the elevator butt thing happening and in Lawrence's face and a little bit up in the air and Lawrence, you know, scratching her back. And I come in and she gives me this filthy look and just kind of goes, and, and then, <laughs> pardon my bad impression of a cat, and then jumps off his stomach and leaves. Like she was obviously very upset that I'd interrupted their alone time and I think if you could have translated that meow into a language, a human language that we all understand, it would have been some, you know, she would, she would have been saying something like, damn it. And to get out. She was very, why, why are you here? Um, (laughs) Fanny gets very possessive of her time alone with Lawrence. And I was saying to Lawrence later, you know, I've been living with cats for 25 years now and and they're like with any other relationship. Sometimes there are bad days. Sometimes you are out of sorts with each other. Certainly when on on days when I bring my cats to the vet, they are not as thrilled with me as they are at other times or if I am chasing them off the bed so I can make it or whatever it is. We, We run afoul of each other on occasion, but I don't think I've ever walked into a room and had a cat that I live with just make it so clearly indicated that she was bummed to see me. (laughs) And uh, so that was a real first. And and I found myself wishing I I could have recorded it and played it back because maybe I was imagining it. Maybe it was not as surly as I thought. But I'm pretty sure it was. I I think she was kind of cursing me out a little bit. I'm I'm going to stick with my original assessment on this one. And so there you go. Um, if you live long enough, I, I guess you see everything. And I have now lived long enough to hear myself cursed out by a cat that I love simply for entering the room while she was getting massaged by her daddy. By the way, I would certainly not have interrupted the proceedings. It was not my intention to do so. But Fanny gets self-conscious about – she will always, if I walk in and Lawrence is giving her one of these intense early morning rubdowns, she she always immediately flees the second I happen to walk into the room. And I'm not sure why she feels obligated to do that, although sometimes I think it's <laughs> because she thinks like she's the other woman in my relationship with Lawrence and and doesn't, you know, doesn't want to be caught in flagrante delecto, as they say. Uh but this was the first time that she actually just sounded really irritated that I had entered the room. And I was like, well, excuse me? I certainly beg your pardon. Clayton, by the way, has never sounded irritated when I enter a room. God bless his little heart, even though he is lying here so quietly next to Clayton. Clayton, what are you doing, kitty? Yeah, he's just looking at me like, what? I'm just lying here. What do you think I'm doing? Well, since I'm clearly losing my mind, this is probably as good a place as any to start to wrap things up before we head into today's interview. So let me just remind those of you who are listening, we are having our drawing for that that full-size oil portrait, one of a kind, of Homer the Blind Wonder Cat is a beautiful portrait, and we are going to be having our raffle for that on December 23rd. Raffle tickets are $5 a piece if you would like to purchase a raffle ticket. Um, you may 
do so one of two ways. You can actually just email me, gwen at gwencooper.com. Each raffle ticket counts as one chance to win and 100% of the proceeds from the raffle are being donated to the Kentucky Humane Society to aid in rescue efforts for animals on the ground following that that deadly string of tornadoes that Kentucky experienced um, a couple of weeks ago. Also, 100% of my book sales, or I'm sorry, 50% of the proceeds from my book sales. And and these are my books that you can buy on Amazon. So if you wanted to buy a copy of Homer's Odyssey or the sequel to Homer's Odyssey or My Life in a Cat House or the Book of Possum or Spray Anything, et cetera, et cetera, I am donating 50% of my proceeds from all sales on those books during the holiday season to Cobble Small Animal Rescue to assist with their evacuation efforts. They are finally, finally getting their dogs and cats out of Afghanistan and into Canada. They are going to be doing that early in the new year, and they still need all the help they can get from us in terms of money to make this happen. And this was really one of the more gripping stories I know of of 2021 that we were all following with such close attention. And I'm so happy that there is this, this really nice conclusion to the story. And so let's all try to make that happen. Also, autographed first editions. I still have some hardcover first editions of Homer's Odyssey, My Life in a Cat House, and maybe one or two copies of Love Saves the Day. If you would like an autographed first edition of one of those books for yourself or for someone you love, and I personally inscribe them to you or to whoever you would like me to inscribe them to, so it's not just that it's signed, it is inscribed to the person by name, and and it is a a nice personal gift for someone, or a nice personal gift to yourself. Lord knows, just through getting you know for getting past uh, through the past couple of years, I, I think we all deserve to treat ourselves a little bit. Anyway, email me at gwen at gwencooper dot com if you are interested in buying a copy. And again, I have maybe one or two copies left of Love Saves the Day, and maybe four copies left of Homer's Odyssey, and I think three or four copies of My Life in a Cat House. So supplies are dwindling. If this some this is something you would like, the books are twenty five dollars a piece, and that price includes U S shipping if you are outside of the United States. Uh, and you are interested in getting a book, you can reach out to me and I will let you know what the additional shipping charges would be. And again, you can email me at gwen at gwencooper.com if you are interested. And 100% of the proceeds from these book sales over and above what it costs to ship the books are also going to Cobble Small Animal Rescue. And on that note... We are going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we will be speaking with Kirsten Quimby. So sit back, relax, get comfortable, and stick around for more Curl Up with a Cattail.
Thanks so much for sticking around. I'm thrilled to be able to announce today's guest, who I've been communicating with since June of this year, and we are finally able to get it together to have this interview. Kirsten Quimby is a Rhode Island native who moved to Panama in 2015 and founded the rescue organization Kirsten Cares for Cats, uh, which provides food and rescue services and sanctuary for the cats of Panama, including many special needs cats. Uh, it's really a remarkable story. And, and certainly I know the life dream that many of the people listening to this podcast have to move to an exotic tropical location and devote your life to caring for cats in need. So I know people are really going to love hearing this story. And Kirsten, Thanks so much for joining us. I, I know my audience is going to be very delighted to welcome you, and I am thrilled to have you here as well. Thank you. Um, thank you for inviting me and finally to get the opportunity to chat with you. Yes. So you originally began writing to me uh, a few months ago about this rescue. I, I, can I really call it an organization? I know that it's you. Do you have other volunteers or, or employees that you work with, or is it primarily you? Primarily me and my husband, and we have some people that help with transportation, vet visits, and things like that. But pretty much it's, it's myself and my husband. All right. So I know the story begins in Rhode Island, which is where you were from originally. And then in 2015, you made this incredible life-changing decision to move to Panama and to start this rescue organization. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Okay, my husband is older than myself, and he was retired. And he had been wanting to move out of the country for quite a while. And finally, he convinced me. But the deal breaker was that if I moved, because I'm younger than him, so I'm not retired, that I would devote my time to taking care of animals. But now it's mostly it's cats. So, and how how difficult is it, by the way, just in terms of the logistics of picking up your life in one country and moving it to another one, how difficult was that process? It took a lot of preparation, and we did come here in 2013 for a relocation tour, okay. which involved coming here, seeing the country, and where we would like to live. Like, like touring a college, basically, <laughs> before exactly. you enroll. Yes. Okay. Checking it out first before right. we actually make the big move to to you know relocate to Panama, and then after we had um, one of our dogs, our precious dog Zoe, passed away, then we made all the plans, put everything in action, and we moved here, lock, stock, barrel, everything. Yeah, and and the our- reason. Yeah, I was going to say, and the reason that I, I do want to talk about that before we get into the story of your organization itself is because I do think a lot of people listening to this are going to be thinking, you know, this is something I would love to do someday. And then you think of all the reasons why it would be difficult or impossible. It, it just seems overwhelming to pick up your life and move to another country. You think I have pets, I have cats or dogs who are too old and, and how would I get them someplace else? How will I even know what other country I might want to live in? How would I know if I would enjoy being there? And I do feel that there are answers to all these questions, uh, but I also think it's great for people to hear from someone what some of those steps might be. Were, were you an, an experienced traveler before you and your husband made this decision? Or, I mean, had you spent any time previously in your life living or, or extended periods of time overseas? Or was this a real first for the two of you? This- this was a real first. I had traveled with my dad when I was a lot younger. You know, we took tours to Europe for like two weeks or something and, you know, to the islands and things like that, Mexico. But this was a huge step 
And my husband re- being retired, he had a lot of time to devote to the back, you know, the background checks of everything. Where do we want to go? What will we need? What are the requirements? How much does it cost? Because you just can't pick up and move, um, you know, go across the border. You actually have to have um, documentation that you can support yourself, that you're not going there and going to be like a freeloader. So there's a lot of paperwork and everything involved. But if you want something bad enough, nothing, you know, you can conquer it. You can get over that wall, go around it. There are ways. If you want something bad enough, go for it. That's here, how- here. <laughs> <laughs> here, here, says says the the formerly struggling writer who you know for years like ah no one's ever going to publish anything that I write and uh, there are, there are always reasons not to do something but uh, but but one day if it really is something you want you have to just go ahead and do it I, I guess the last question I would have for you is were you independently wealthy in some way did you have a trust fund did you win the lottery I don't want to pry too much no uh, no <laughs> so I this was have- something that you were just able as a regular person. With, a, with regular a, person. a regular as person a regular with a regular person. life who are able and and so you were able to do this and I'm curious as to what drew you to Panama specifically. I love nature and I wanted to be surrounded by trees but without the cold. So I didn't want Fair to enough. somewhere where there's going to be snow anything like that. I, I don't like the cold. I prefer the warmth. So there were a couple of countries and you know we went through everything and this was the one Panama that just kept checking all the boxes and it's warm where we are in a little town of Boquete. We don't need air conditioning and we don't need heat. So it's spring like all year round. Oh, that's terrific. So, oh yes. It's beautiful. And the thing was my husband and I looked, you know, put everything on paper, the pros and the cons, the things, the amount of money we'd be saving in the heating bills, the property taxes, all this extra stuff. We could not afford not to take the move, take the plunge and do it. And no going back. We're very happy here. And it's, it, it was a good decision. And you're able to, to channel some of those saved funds into your work with the cats. Yes, exactly. Yep. We, and... did, have, we did have a home in the United States. I loved it. It was left to me by my father. It was my grandma's house. So that was a big part to leave. But once I made the realization that, you know, nothing can control me. I have the choices in life. You know, it's property. It's not, it's not permanent. These things are fleeting, but to go with a way of life and a way to live every day and help animals that when you look at that, I'm like, yes, it's something I'm drawn to do. And I want to live my dream. And, and that must be an incredibly, I think, freeing realization when, when you start thinking about all of these things that, that again, the logistical hurdles and the things that seem to be weighing you down. And I couldn't possibly leave my house. I couldn't possibly leave my favorite coffee shop on the corner. All of these things that on the one hand you do love and they mean something to you, but they also at a certain point become a kind of weight that, that holds you in place as, exactly. and doesn't give you the freedom to move. Exactly. Uh, so I, I do want to, and, and I always like to do this up front because sometimes people don't listen all the way to the end. So I do want to let people know up front, if, if they tune out right now, how they can learn more about your work and your organization and, and ways in which they can support your efforts. Where should people go to look for you online? Okay. I have, I'm on Facebook and it's Kirsten Quimby and um, K-I-R-S-T-E-N. Quimby, Q-U-I-M as in Michael, B as in boy, Y, and Kirsten Cares for Cats. And also, um, if you go there, I have PayPal information, but it's mostly that. And my 
email address is Z-O-E-Y-Q-U-I-M-B-Y at gmail.com. And that's probably the best ways because we have a Panamanian phone number. So I don't expect anybody to call long distance. No. Although, you know, when this is finished, you and I should talk a little bit about Wix and how easy it is now. to. I mean, if you can move internationally and start a, a cat rescue from scratch, you could definitely build yourself a website on Wix. It's super, super easy. And uh, we, we will talk about that after the interview. Uh, not okay. that I chill for Wix or anything. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about this, this rescue organization. What, so you came to Panama with the intention of founding some sort of a, a rescue program for local cats. Yes. Um, the intention was to help animals at first, um, cause I love all animals, dogs, cats, everything. And I, you know, we threw ourselves right away into the, into helping the rescue groups. Cause I had already researched who is the area in the area that does help with the animals and things. So I already had a couple of groups and I worked with them and then they, you know, subsided in a new group took over it. And finally I just said, okay, forget it. I'm going to do it on my own. And that's when I started with Kirsten cares for cats. Um, <laughs> I think that's an important point, though. Yeah, I, I wanted to to emphasize that that you did initially come in and integrate yourself with an existing rescue community. You did not come in as an outsider saying, "I know what you guys need. I know how things should be done here, and and here's how I'm going to do them." You did take the time to to learn what existing resources there were for animals already in place, and and how you could contribute to those programs exactly. and resources. Yep. And there is a wonderful group here that helps with the sterilizations and they have monthly clinics at a very, very reduced rate. It's going to sound kind of um, almost like it's not really true, but they charge $8 to sterilize a cat, $15 to sterilize a dog. Now, doesn't that seem Riddle. That is, uh, th- those are really, I-, I hate to use this expression in relation to animal rescue, but those are rock bottom prices that it, it does not get better than that. No. And there is a wonderful group and they also um, work on donations and they're just a wonderful group. And you just learn to work with what is available and they're only doing it like every month, except for October and November, of course, during COVID they had very, very few clinics, but because I was kind of limited, but there are still cats that need to be sterilized. I finally found who were the local vets and the David is a town about 45 minutes away. And I just finally asked the vets, I said, I'm a rescue. Can you help me? And they give me reduced rates and I bring cats to David and also to a vet here in Boquete. So I, you got to reach out and you got to just kind of set your own way sometimes. Um, so I, you know, I'm curious as to the the treatment of or, or attitude towards, let's say, cats and dogs in a place like Panama, as opposed to the United States. I know that some countries it, it's very comparable. And obviously in some countries there is open hostility toward cats and dogs. And, and that was something as we were fundraising earlier this year for at the, the evacuation of animal rescue organizations in Afghanistan, for example, that we saw. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's not like that in Panama, that there is not any sort of religious antipathy, let's say, toward cats and dogs. But I'm curious to know how animals fare there as opposed to in the United States. Um, that's a big difference. It's not as bad as other countries that I've heard from people, but 
before we moved here and before that rescue up, the sterilization group um, helped out. There were dogs and cats roaming the streets, but they've been active and they've sterilized numerous animals. And the cats aren't look, uh, looked here very nicely. They're kind of mistreated. So that's why I, I even try harder to sterilize, sterilize, sterilize. So there's fewer cats. And I feed the cats because a lot of people just, that's ah, a wild animal, like a squirrel or something. It'll find its own way. Yeah, I was I was going to say, and, and I think that that, I, that is also a problem here in the United States, that there really is still a perception that cats can just take care of themselves. I think everybody who cares at all about animals or or, or is not, you know, a monster understands that a, that dog, a stray dog is a suffering dog. That dog should not be left to roam and, and fend for themselves on the streets. But I think a lot of what has to be overcome in many places, including here in the United States, when you're trying to establish a rescue program for cats, is this sense that cats don't really need us. And, and of course, we like to make jokes as cat lovers that, that sometimes our cats can be aloof or they, we're their servants and they're the ones in charge. But the reality, when you get right down to it, is that cats are still domestic animals, even feral cats, and, and they do need some assistance from humans. Yes. And that's why with the people, I can, I'm able to speak Spanish, not perfectly, but so I, like the other day, I just went and knocked on somebody's house because somebody told me there were three kittens outside. And I'm like, you know, I'm just here to help. But if you'd like, I will make the appointments, bring the cats to get sterilized. You know, please, are you open to this idea? And she was, and we made the appointments. I took the cats. A lot of people don't have vehicles here. So I loan the carriers and I provide the transportation. There's a lot of work on my end, but if it helps the cats get a better life, then okay. I don't mind putting all that extra effort in because to me, it'll make for a better world for the animals. So, and a lot of people are open to it. You just got to talk to them, communicate. And so that's what it takes a lot of. You know, I so this is a this show is called Curl Up with a Cat Tail, and so where possible, I I do like to get stories from the people who we talk to, and I, I definitely want to talk more about some of the logistics and and mechanics of what your organization does. But I would love to hear the story of let's say maybe the the, the rescue that has has been, I don't want to say the most meaningful because they, I know that they are all meaningful, but maybe the, the rescue, the, the first rescue where you felt, you know, I've done exactly the right thing with my life in coming here. What was there a specific cat or a specific rescue that made you feel this is what I truly was meant to be doing? There's not one in particular There might've been at the time, but it's almost like, you know, every day when I'm coming back from, from the vet, say in David, you know, it's forty-five minute drive, and and I'll just think of what what's happened, what I've done, and everything. And all right, there was a cat that she was having kittens, but she couldn't pass them, so they were stuck inside her. And I'm like, okay, an emergency. Okay, we got to take care of this cat. And I know the vet and and David at the time, and I called him up. I said, I've got an emergency. Can I get? He goes, bring the cat immediately. So I managed, I brought the carrier, put the cat in it. We zoomed on down to David. He saved her life. He did like a, um, a C-section. And the a C-section. Were, My mother yeah, still shows cat. me her C-section scar, actually. <laughs> <laughs> she, she always says, look what your big head did to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> See, we can relate with the animal. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and we, you know, brought her and then I, I waited and he saved her life. The babies were, were dead inside. They were huge and she couldn't pass them. Mm. And without me doing that, you know, and she was suffering. She sure. Of course. And they were dying inside. So now they're becoming toxic. Right. And it would have been a matter of time. She would have just, she would have just died. Sure. Um, you know, in pain and toxicity and everything. And, you know, on the way back and I get a little you know, teary eyed, I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing here in, in Panama. This is the reason I came here to do these things, to make a difference in life. Um, some people choose children. Some people choose, um, you know, poverty. Other people choose the, you know, other different things. But to me, it was the cats. And I put 110% in for the cats. And it's all about whether whether it is the, the children or the homeless or the elderly or animals. It, it, it is certainly about contributing to the greater store of goodness in the world. I, I think that a lot of times people can, although I, you know, and this is something I always say that I don't think that people, I don't think people who spend a lot of time helping the homeless are really that concerned with other people who are spending a lot of time helping animals. I think the people who criticize animal rescuers for not doing more for people are the people who themselves are not doing much, but they feel that in pointing out what other people are doing wrong, that's their helpful contribution is pointing out what other people are doing wrong. Like, like Waldorf and Stadler, you know, and the Muppets, they, they get to sit up there in in the wings and and not actually be in the show, but point out what's wrong with the show. Um, Exactly. That's why I said, as long as you're giving back to something, if you have the time, you're in that position in your time of life, um, just give back, read to kids in, in, in the hospital, just do something. We're all here to improve the world and just put your little part in and, you know, don't criticize what others are doing, make better what you're doing. I'm just, I just like to, you know, do the positive. If any spin's going to happen, it's going to be for the positive. And that's what I just want to relate. That you Fair can enough. Absolutely. And, and I know that, so you, you do, obviously you, you help the, the many, many cats of, of Panama and, and there are certainly no prior, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for qualifications that these cats need to have. But at some point you did also begin to focus uh, a little bit more on helping special needs and, and blind cats. That was actually how you and I began communicating. Why don't you tell us about the first blind cat who you rescued? Okay. Um, you live with 15 actually, cats, by the way. I, I just want to make clear. You have 15 cats and these live with you in your home. Yes. In yes. our home. They are part of the family. Right. And that's in addition to the cats who, who you rescue. And I, three now three of these 15 are blind. Is that correct? Or is it three who live in the Four. sanctuary? Four. Okay. Four. Yep. Four of the cats that live here in the house with us are blind. And, and of course, we have a very soft spot here for blind cats here on uh, Curl Up in a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. So why don't you tell us about the first blind cat that you rescued? And, and had you felt, I, I, obviously, you feel an affinity toward animals. And I think anybody who is oriented toward rescue, you're always drawn, especially to the animals who need the most help. I, I think wh- whatever it is that you're doing, if you are a person who's inclined to help, then the greater the need is, the more you are going to feel drawn to provide assistance. Um, but I, you, you know, I, I guess I wonder, did you come in with an idea that you were specifically looking for special needs animals, or was this something that you discovered as you went through your work, that there were these animals who had additional needs? As I went through the work there, just there being out there more and more exposure uh, with my own eyes, I saw what was needed, where the concern was, who needed help. Um, 
there are a lot of animals that need help. But with the blind cats, our first rescue, our first blind rescue was she's been with us three years. Her name is Luz, meaning light in Spanish, because she she can't see. And she was at a finca or a farm. And somebody contacted us because we also do the TNR, trap, neuter, and release. And we have from that organization, uh, Los Amigos de Animales, they have the cat traps. And I take care of, you know, locating the cats that need to be trapped. She had been trapped and sterilized. And that was in October. So the following clinic would not have been till January. So I know the people, the Panamanians. I said, where is she? I want to see the blind cat that we help. And they had her in a birdcage. And I did not know oh. whether... Yeah, I did not know whether to cry, to shout. I did not know what to do. I was just amazed. I was shocked. I mean, their heart was obviously their heart was in the right place, and they understood that a blind cat should not be roaming. That that there are dangers for a blind cat just roaming free outside. But of course, the idea. I, I you know, I just I had this horrible picture of of Homer, who you know was so adventurous and so active, and and just such a a high energy runaround cat confined to a cage for the better part of his life. And, and it just made me very sad all of a sudden. Yes. And that's what, what, what happened. And I was by myself that day, you know, visiting and things. And I, I went home immediately to my husband. I said, we've got to go and do something for her um, on their property. You know, we weren't about ready to take another cat, but he went with me the following day. And we looked, it was like a little chicken coop area. Like, and I'm sorry, I'm going to cut this. I feel like your husband <laughs> should be getting a round of applause. Like, I, I think we should just pause and consider the fact that your husband was just looking to retire and his, his retirement has become a sanctuary <laughs> for cats. I'm assuming your husband loves animals almost as much as you do, or maybe even as much as you do. But, but it, it strikes me that he absolutely deserves praise for having you know for for the, let, allowing this to become his retirement as well as your your day-to-day yes and I always say that we're a team and absolutely I'm, I'm very blessed for him to um because he jumps in as much as I do um just a quick when I'm off doing all the rescuing or the vet visits or feeding the cats he's here taking care of the 15 cats and he says he retired to become a janitor because the litter boxes, the sweeping <laughs> up the floor, you know, taking care of the cats. So we we joke about it, but no, his heart is is in it as just as much as as mine is. And he does tell me because he's he's twenty years older than I am. You know, do what you can now because I am not always going to be able to help you as much as I am. And I realize that, and that's why we're doing as much as we do now because I know in a couple of years, you know, two five years that's going to change. Well, I might just have to stay, take care of the animals at the house and limit and have other people do as much as I'm doing on the outside. I think so, we've well, all learned over the past couple of years that you really never know what, what's going to happen or, or where the future is going to take you or what challenges are, are going to come up. And so you really do have to, I think, seize the opportunities to do work that you find meaningful as those opportunities present themselves because you cannot count on on that opportunity still being there in a year or a couple of years or, or five years. Exactly. And that's why it's, um, I, I read a little plaque somewhere. If not now, when? You know, that is the, the Hebrew philosopher Hillel. That is actually one of my favorite quotes. The entire quote is, if I am for myself, if I'm sorry, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? But if I am for myself alone, what am I? And if not now, when? 
And I I think those are are three essential questions that that everyone should should answer for themselves at some point in their lives. Um, Because again, I think this is a perfect example. You, You decided something that you wanted to do for yourself that would make you happy, but that also would consist of service to others and to something bigger than yourself. And you decided to do it as soon as the opportunity presented itself. And, um, and here you are now. So, so let's get back to, to this blind cat. So you told your husband that, that something had to be done for this blind cat. And so he came to the property with me and when he saw, you know, where she was living and they did have the best intentions, the, the people that were caring for her, they didn't know what to do and they don't have the land to put her or a room to put her. And they were doing the best to their ability. And, you know, I, don't admonish them at all. They were doing what they could. Again, looking at the positive, not the negative. And Ray said, she's coming home with us. And I looked at him like secretly, yes. And she's been here with us over three years. We can't touch her because she was, she was, you know, wild, feral. Um, but that's fine. It's just her home. And she goes everywhere all the other cats that can see go. So Lucy's forever is is ours. We adopted her and she, her life is so much better than where she came from. And have you, you know, obviously a lot of the cats, I'm assuming of the 15 cats that that have come into your home, that some of them at least are, are ferals or former ferals. And are there any former ferals with whom you have developed a, a, a physical, you know, a physically close and affectionate relationship with? Yes. Two in particular, um, brother and sister. Uh, we named them Lily and Mia, which happened to be our husband's, my and his na- middle name. We were doing the, um, I jumped right in doing the feral, well, the feral cat trapping or the TNR, because there was uh, that group again that rescued that group that does the sterilizations. They, the woman who was doing the trapping was doing it for 10 years, but she was returning to Canada and they needed somebody to take it over. And nobody was interested in trapping cats. My husband and I just moved here and I said, I'm doing, I'm up for it. I'll take it. Uh, you know, I've never trapped a cat before, but show me. And <laughs> it became my responsibility, which is fine because that's how I learned. And she guided me and I took over the reins when she left. And I've been doing it for all the six years we've been here. And so it's it's not just the, the cats who physically live on your property or in your sanctuary. You also feed and care for feral cats and feral colonies uh, in, in outside of your home or outside of your own property, let's say. Outside of our own property. Here, there are um, a lot of the colony cats, as we call them. Some are feral, some aren't. Um, I call them the caregivers, and they give the food to them. So we purchase bags of food and we bring it to the people because it's like their colony. One woman I'll call a Senora Uba, and she cares for 16 cats. They're not, she's not a hoarder. And she doesn't go out looking for cats. They come from the, we're like, it's in the mountains. So they come from the mountains looking for food. And with COVID, COVID, nobody could afford to feed their animals. So more would come to the people who are already feeding cats. So that's how she ends up with 16 cats. And we sterilize them and we provide food. And that's what we do all through Boquete. And we're even helping with other cats from David. So sterilization key. and then feeding them to maintain that they stay healthy and, you know, get some good food. And that's what we do as well. Not just our own cats, but as we call them, the community cats. 
you know, in watching your video, I, it just, um, there, there's obviously so much that, that goes into running something, running a program like the one that you're running. And so I'm wondering if you could take us through, let's say a typical day in, in the life of, of a Panamanian, a cat rescuer. Okay. Usually, um, for instance, today is considered a day off because I don't have any vet visits. I don't have any sterilizations being done. All the cat food has been delivered. So today, now I'm just doing like paperwork and writing to people, thanking them for the donations that they've made, or I'll do a post on Facebook. Um, But for instance, yesterday I coordinated with a helper. We brought two, um, cats to be dropped off for sterilization, two females. Then I had brought another cat in the afternoon, another female cat that her kittens died and she, her stomach was huge. We had an ultrasound done and found out that she did. She was really badly infected. So we had that done, got her the medication. Of course, I'm doing the transportation because she doesn't have a car, the young lady who was the owner. And so when she's ready in three weeks, we'll bring her back and we'll have her sterilized. And this week we ended up getting like 10 cats sterilized between here in Boquete and David, because there's no big clinics um, at the individual private vets who help me give me a discount because I'm a rescuer. And in between that, I'll drop off food to whoever's on my list because it's, you know, they get four bags of cat food a month and they don't have a lot of space. Like, you know, most Americans have big homes have like one room or something that they'll put the stuff and they can't take all four bags at once. So I drop two off and then go back in two more weeks and drop the other two off. Um, just different things like that. But it's always something, you know, I told my husband today's three days, like, yeah, it's still <laughs> early. <laughs> no, no, no rest for the wicked. You, I mean, obviously you're a person who enjoys being busy. Is, has that always been the case or is this something that has grown upon you, let's say, as since you moved to Panama and have seen how much need there is for work? It's more so um, always like to be busy and yes, not lazy by any means. The big thing with myself that I've noticed um, before I moved here, I was very shy. And I know it may not seem like talking with you now, how open and how easy it is, but I pretty much loved my house, my husband and my animals. And I stayed on the property when I didn't work during the week, come home. And then the weekends were just time to be in the yard, be outdoors. And I didn't go out very much. I didn't socialize. I had a paradise there. I didn't need to do anything. And when I moved here, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't stay like this. I've got to break out of the shell because who's going to who's going to speak for that cat that's sick? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? Who's going to bring the cats for sterilization if I'm too shy to talk to the people? And I just did a whole turnaround. And I always tell or say the cats, they helped me find my voice because I was not like this before, but it was my passion and it was inside. And it just took the move here and not relying on other people or anything else to fulfill my life. I had to find it. I had to find that voice and speak up. And now I have no problem with speaking up and regarding advocating for a cat or anything, going to the vets, talking to them, asking questions. So I found my passion and that helped me find my voice. I think a lot of people who, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, not shy when it comes to taking care of an animal anymore. Um, Sorry, you cut out there for a second, but I was going to say, I I think that a lot of people who love animals, part of, part of what draws many people who love animals to them 
is that they're they are easier to be around. I think there are a lot of people who are on the introverted side, let's say. Not everybody, obviously, but a lot of people who are introverted find it it's so easy and calming to be with animals, to be around animals. It's part of what draws us to them. And But you're absolutely right that when it becomes incumbent upon you to be a voice for somebody else, that's when you suddenly find your voice. When it may have been harder for you to speak up on your own behalf, it becomes much easier. Out of the full heart, the mouth will speak, as they say. And yes. and when you're advocating for someone else, it, it becomes easier to do so. Um, uh, now, you said you have 15 cats. And, and of course, I have to ask you, it's pop quiz, name them all right now. Tell us, tell us all their names. Okay, it's Spirit, Grayson, JJ, Lily, Mia, Luce, uh, Rudy, Lupe, Dora, trying to look around who else is on the bed, Esther, Dina, and I don't know if I got them all or not. It's Mr. Mitz. <laughs> you know what? I lost count. So, so I'm not sure. So some, somebody listening will let us know. How often, how, how typical is it on, on a daily basis for you to call one cat by another cat's name? Always, always doing it. It's kind of like, because um, my mom, I'm one of eight children. And my right. mom, I, she always used to call me by the, a different name. And now I can understand and relate why she did that. <laughs> I, you know, I was going to say, I mean, I have one sister. I was one of two children and we would at any given time have two or three dogs in the house when I was growing up. But my mother, I mean, there were times where she would get Dawn, tip, pet, you know who you are. Get over here. <laughs> so yes, I, I, you, even with far fewer than eight kids or 15 cats, I, I think it's just a, a thing that happens over the years. Yes, it, it does very easily. <laughs> so, Numerous times during the day. <laughs> but I'm, I'm assuming the cats don't get offended if you call one cat by another cat's name. Not at all. They're just happy to be called and in a house where they're loved. So they have no problems. And, and I've seen your videos. Do you have a YouTube? You sent me links to your videos, but do you have a YouTube channel that people can check out to see the videos that you sent me? Mm, I have to look into that. Another thing, I'm not very computer savvy or anything. Another thing that I got Facebook because of the animals. Otherwise, before that, I didn't have a Facebook. There was no need. But because of the animals, I got a Facebook page and it's just to show the pictures of the cats and what we're doing and who we're helping. All right. Well, then what I'm going to do, and actually by the time people listen to this, I will have done it. I love speaking the future perfect. I will have done it. Uh, I am going to link to the two videos that you sent me on my website, gwencooper.com. If you go to the page for my podcast, and, and it's very easy to find, there's a comment section where, where listeners can leave comments and I respond to them. And I certainly encourage anybody listening now to, to jump in there and leave feedback for us, by the way. But I'm going to post the links to your videos so that people just have an easy way to find them if they want to see you in action, if they want to see some of your cats, uh, particularly if they want to see some of your blind cats, which, uh, again, of course, I understandably, I find that that particularly touching uh, but but it's great stuff. It's great footage and great cat footage and and nothing too sad or scary, right? Right for anybody to, no, who's afraid no. of of anything like that. And I definitely encourage people to check it out. And you also have, and we're going to bring it back around. You also have information in those videos if people want to learn more about what you're doing or donate to your efforts. They can find that information in those videos as well. Correct. Correct. Yes. Thank you for doing that. 
Of course. And is there anything else that that I have not brought up, but that you would uh, that you would like to let people know about the work that you do? Um. No, I think we covered everything. And just a little thing I didn't, we didn't get too much into the blind cats, but we did have a sanctuary built for blind cats. Well, I think that's important. Tell us a little bit more about that, about the sanctuary for blind cats. Yep. Um, There is a woman's prison here on the way to David, um, the next largest town. And they kept producing cats, kittens that were blind. And they wouldn't permit us to go in, sterilize, and leave the cat. They oh, and I'm sorry, I just one question. When you say they kept producing cats that were blind, was this they genetically there was a genetic uh, malformation with the eyes, or were there were the circumstances or the situation of the cats there just so bad that they kept getting URIs and other infections that cause blindness? It is the, uh, genetically. Um, okay. Interesting. Yeah, none of the cats were sterilized. And this mama, she just kept producing. And then if one of hers was blind and that one would so on and so on. And also two bad eye infections. Um, the two cats that we have here are from the uh, other two cats that are blind are from that prison. They were born with eyes, but oh, before just real mess. So they kept, you know, producing these kittens and they would call, come get them, come rescue them. I'm like, well, why can't we sterilize them? And they can stay there because we don't have a lot of homes or foster homes to take these cats. No, no, no. Take them. I'm like, okay, that's the only way you're going to let me do it. I'm going to build a sanctuary for them. And I just got the inspiration, enthusiasm, determination. And we did. And I asked people for the donations and everything and our own money. And we built the sanctuary. And they allowed us to take the cats, sterilize them, keep them because they didn't want them back. So now we only have four cats living there, but you can see the difference in them. And it's so wonderful. One cat, Boo, he had no confidence, nothing. And he would just like, he had no eyes, but he could just stare into space. And it's like, oh my God. And to see him climbing up and crawling and living in the grass and climbing up on the steps and everything. Another thing, that's what I'm here to do. That's why I'm in Panama. Kirsten, I I uh, I am so both inspired and and humbled by by these stories of of the incredible things that you have done and and these tremendous efforts that you undertake as if they were nothing. And uh, thank you so much, really, for coming here and and sharing them with all of us today. Thank you for having me, and thank you for allowing me to spread the word about the cats. And that's all for this week and for this year. Have a very Merry Christmas to those of you who celebrate it and a happy and healthy new year. And I look forward to seeing all of you again in 2022. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name, and your cat's name included in my next book or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me and don't forget to hug your cat today.